Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. All right, it's time for another episode of the TC Live podcast on the Tennis Podcast Network. Mitch Michaels here as we've reached the finals of yet another Grand Slam. The Australian Open 2021 only has a couple of matches left. We're at the final round of this tournament. And I guess this week to preview what's on deck and do a look at this Australian Open tournament is a man that needs no introduction because, quite frankly, he's been on this podcast enough times that you already know him. Paul Anacone joining the show Paul, thanks for coming back on the show and uh, really being a friend of this program. Mitch, thanks for the invite. I was wondering, it's been a long time. I thought it maybe made you guys annoyed at me last time. You know, it took a while to get this invite. I was stalking you, so thanks a lot for reaching out. Paul, definitely uh, glad to have you here. And uh, yeah, I know you've had success at this tournament, but I won't say what year because I know you don't like when I when I did. Oh, yeah. So there you go. There you go. We won't go that far. But the 2021 edition has been exciting. Uh, it's been drama filled. And quite frankly, we've seen some stuff that we, we haven't seen in a while, good and bad. But props again to Tennis Australia and the players for making the commitment, Paul. Uh, there's been ups, there's been downs. Unfortunately, you've had some injuries that have left uh, some matches you know, unfulfilled in that regard. But it's been exciting. And I think my first question I want to go with is, what have been the uh, observations that you've seen, some things that have stood out for you, whether it's quality of play, the players adapting to having fans and then not having fans before they return for the semis? What stood out for you in this uh, unique Australian Open? Well, I, I think it's been such a bizarre environment. Um you know, first and foremost, you know, kudos to Tennis Australia for pulling this off. I mean, I, I, you know, after everything that they've gone through, you know, with the government, the Victorian government and all of the citizens to try to make it safe for everybody, yet bring entertainment to a place where they, they've had some severe lockdowns for a long period of time. So I think Tennis Australia basically jumped through a million hoops to just get this off the ground. And, and yeah, it was, you know, it was challenging for, for some of the players, especially the ones in hard lockdown. That's a big challenge. But in the grand scheme of things and in the grand scheme of life, I think players felt really, really happy to have the opportunity. Um, so that's first and foremost. The second thing is just to, you know, what always amazes me, um, it just kind of, jumps to me to the forefront all the time is how the best players tend to seem to deal with adversity and get through things, whatever that adversity is, and they find ways. And, and this tournament wasn't a heck of a lot different. There were some upsets and obviously we saw some, some new stories and some fun new stories, but when you see who's around the last few days of the tournament, it's a lot of familiar faces and, and those great players manage adversity so well both on and off the court so i think that uh you know that goes to show you that uh, a lot of the greatness of some of these athletes isn't what happens between the lines it's also what happens outside of the lines you know it's interesting you mentioned the hard lockdown there wasn't a direct correlation with players i mean it was obviously challenging for everybody that had to go through that but some of the players that did you'd think 
weren't going to have a lot of success, they actually did. I mean, the numbers speak out that some of the players were able to overcome, use their you know mental strength as well as their physical strength to succeed. And and Paul, I want to ask you, this is someone that's been around the game, as, as we know, for a long time, played it, coached it. it. I can't understate enough how difficult it is to have a sport where you're gearing up for a grand slam weeks into the season. Um, and every year, pandemic or not, it's a challenge to get yourself into top form and to get yourself prepared to play at a high level right out of the gate. What were some of the things when you were in that position playing and coaching that you looked for, that you worked on, ways that you routed yourself and the players that you coached into form so early into the season? Well, I think the big thing is is you try to get you know, the hard yards are done in the buildup, right? All the strength and conditioning, all the long hours on the court, all the, you know, strategy, technique oriented stuff. And then you get down to Australia and it's like, okay, get acclimated, get some matches in and get ready to go. And then this year was so very different because of the, the way they had to quarantine and what was taking place. But really, once you get down there, it's mostly about getting matches and getting used to the conditions, the heat, the balls, the court speed, etc. So I think that that's really the recipe. Get that hard work done in December and November and then get to Australia and you're really just ready to go. But this year, like you said, Mitch, they had a, a few other things to deal with with the COVID situation. So it made it even more challenging. Well, let's look at who is in these finals. And uh, we had some great semifinals uh, across the board in both the men's and the women's. We're going to start with the women's. And uh, in the final, not a big surprise to many, but going for her second Australian Open crown is Naomi Osaka. Paul, she beat Serena Williams in straight sets, has now won all four sets between the two in Grand Slams. And uh, I, I was just thoroughly impressed. I want to spend time giving credit to Naomi in this regard, Paul, that after a slow start, after you know, having the nerves that she admitted in the first couple games to settle herself, to play well, and to serve as big as I think any of us have ever seen her. There's really not much to dislike about Naomi's game in her current form. I think across the board, this is clearly, you know, the standard right now in women's tennis. And I think it'd be hard to find someone else that says otherwise. You hit the nail on the head. It was, you know, the first couple of games when you saw her get down and she was spraying balls and was very unsettled, I was kind of like, well, maybe she's not quite there yet. Maybe she's not quite ready. And from that moment on, to play a legend like Serena is so difficult mentally. I mean, it's so hard to actually believe and consistently feel like you're going to get through at the biggest moments because of the legend that she is. So to see Naomi start off like she did, but then all of a sudden, she really kicked it into a gear where she was totally dominant. Mm-hmm. I mean, she really dominated that match. She had one hiccup at the end of the second set, but really she dictated what was happening point after point. To me, that was pretty incredible. And then you said it to be able to hit that switch after a bumpy start at the beginning. To me, it's really kind of an announcement that she's there. You know, I mean, we all knew she's great, but now to see her change gears in a finals, uh, sorry, in the semifinals of a major against arguably the greatest player that's played the game is pretty impressive. And, and that's something that she should be really proud of. I know she and Wim Pissette have been working incredibly hard for moments just like this. And boy, did she come through. It was, it was for me, it was, uh, it, it was really an affirmation that she is the one to beat. I had to look because her serve was incredible and the amount of 
whether it's free points or first strike tennis off the serve that she got, Paul, she, through the year, through this tournament, is hitting about 79% or winning 79% of her first serve points. And I went back and looked in 2015 when Serena was at her dominance, it was about 81%. So Osaka's serve, giving her that big advantage and and making such a difference stood out to me. But you, you mentioned that hiccup at the end as well. That is that is so impressive to me that she maybe feels the pressure, maybe has a loose game, gets broken. How does she respond? Maybe the Naomi of older or many players currently would not be able to bounce right back, but she breaks it love and then serves it out. I just I just can't remember a player thoroughly beating Serena Williams as great as she's been in this regard. She's lost matches for sure, but this was more about right. Naomi establishing herself as you said the one to beat. Right, and that was what was did she win the last eight points in a row? I'm trying to remember. I know she got up. She she got broken and she broke it. Love and then was up forty. Love, I believe. Yeah, so yeah, I don't know. I think, that, I think she. I think that's I, right. I do. If she I don't know. I don't know if one. she did or. Yeah, I don't know if she did or she didn't. But you you go back in your memory banks, Mitch, and you go back and look with all the other great folks at Tennis Channel, and you tell me another legend, somewhat of the magnitude of Serena, because basically no one is, but that has has broken at a moment like that. And then all of a sudden the opponent comes back and wins seven or eight points in a row to close them. That doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. doesn't. So to me, that's another sign that Naomi Osaka is something special. And her level of self-belief now is just incredible. I mean, to be able to do that against Serena Williams and regroup that quickly, you just don't see it. I mean, so that was an amazing statement for me. Yeah, I know the rankings are a, a hot button topic, and with the two year system, it's hard to to you know really gain in certain ways. But she clearly looks like the best player in the world, despite that three ranking going into the final. And Paul also, she's got six career titles, going for her seventh, going for her fourth Grand Slam. So if anything, she's proving that she's a big match player. I mean, we always talk about Serena, the percentage of her titles being grand slams. Naomi is about to, uh, is on the doorstep of having over half of her titles be grand slams. Pretty insane. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's amazing. Right. And, and that means, you know, someone that's very rare. It's look, almost all the athletes will say, Oh, I love the big stage. I can't wait to get out there. It's truly the rare one that actually feels it. And when they are out there execute and Naomi Osaka has done that since day one, of being in the limelight on the world's biggest stages. So she's someone that truly um, has clarity and commitment with what her game plan is going to be. And now she's got the confidence and trust to know that it, it executes under pressure against the best players on the planet on the biggest stage. So my big thing would be look out now. I mean, uh, I'll be very curious to see how the rest of her 2021 goes and moving forward because she is uh, she's been unbelievably impressive. And just 24, so uh, the best truly is yet to come for her. Exactly. I do want to talk about Serena here for a second. I know it. I know it's hard to you know take anything away from a loss, especially when you're chasing uh, another piece of history and you're that close to winning your first major in a few years. But looking at what she's done, Paul, since Wimbledon 2018, so we'll take the last 10 Grand Slams. She's made four finals. She's made the semis twice, a quarterfinal in there. So seven out of ten times, she's right in the thick right. of it at the end. So has been the most consistent player 
going deep into majors. There's no debating right. that. But for whatever reason, has not been able to get over the hump. Do you attribute it to a, a general consensus of things? Do you think this was one match where it would have been hard to beat Naomi regardless? Because I do agree with a lot of the people out there that say she was in much better shape. Her fitness level was higher. I just don't know how she beats Naomi in a match like this. I, I think this might stand out for no, other losses. She's yeah, had. yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I think she just got beaten. I mean, she just got, you know, Naomi Osaka was the better player on the day. I mean, she was the better power player. You know, she was just the better player. Now, when you look at Serena and you see what she's done in her career and you talk about that consistency and all those great results, she's right there. So absolutely, she can win another major, no doubt about it. I think one of the things that she's learning and has to learn as she moves forward and continues to chase more history is to be a little easier on herself, be a little bit kinder and less, um, you know, kind of punishing on herself because I think she's such a perfectionist and she's so great that in these big matches, she's almost put too much pressure on herself. And it's not from anyone else. It's not expectations. I found this out many, many years ago, coaching Pete Sampras. I mean, no one, people talked about pressure. No one put the pressure on him that he put on himself. So I think with Serena, it's similar in that she needs to be a little bit easier on herself because she's right there yeah. and, and she wants this so bad. We all know that. And, and she's been knocking on the door and she's playing great tennis. She got beat by a better player this time, but you know, she, she's in the mix. And yeah. so that being said, why won't she be in the semis or finals at Wimbledon? Why won't she be in the semis or finals of the U S open French is more challenging for her, but she, she can do that too. But so if she gets into that situation again, I only think she's going to be better and better and more prepared. Yeah, I agree. I would also just add that it's going to be balancing the emotional weight of a loss at this stage in her career because her game is good enough to compete. Now we can, we can say, well, Osaka is the best player. Serena's in the mix of that next break. That's on the cusp that, isn't the best, but is right there. I just think if she's able to, you know, stay upbeat and, and you know, this also as uh, someone that worked with Roger Federer, that he stayed pretty positive in those years that he had that drought of not winning grand slams. And I think it could have been very easy for that, you know, five year period for him to get down and say, it's probably never going to happen again. Right. No, he, he's one of the most optimistic people I've ever been around. And, and after being in the game for as long as I have and seeing the adversity players deal with, that is a huge, huge ingredient in how uh, much longevity you have to stay at your potential because there's just so much adversity. And every week, everyone's losing except one person. And when you're a legend like Serena, generally, you only make news when you lose because you're supposed to win. And so it gets harder and harder going into those press conferences and having you know to kind of deal with not being the one holding the winner's trophy when in actuality it's a great accomplishment no matter what you do. But because it's Serena, it feels like, oh, the mission wasn't accomplished. But she played, look, this is the best I've seen her play in a long time. I mean, she played some amazing tennis. She was incredible against Simona Halep. She was really dictating throughout all of her matches until she played Naomi. So that should tell you something. 
Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Paul Anacone on the TC Live podcast as we look at the women's final of the Australian Open. It will be Naomi Osaka against UCLA's very own Jen Brady. A cool story to say the least. Brady is into her first Grand Slam final, defeating Carolina Mukova in three tough sets in an epic final game to get that spot. Paul, this is, uh, I know we, we kind of cliche in sports, the feel-good stories, but it's hard to undersell this one. A, a college player, someone that was, in that middle range rankings, 30, 40s, but decided to recommit to her game. And uh, the results in the last year have just been truly incredible. It's hard not to get excited and, and undersell the importance and just the magnitude of what Jen Brady accomplished by getting to this final. Yeah, it's been fun to watch. I mean, I'm a, I'm a huge Jen Brady fan. I, I love how she's gone about her business. I love the fact that, you know, a year and a half ago, she spent her off season in Europe training. You know, she, she, got out of her comfort zone, did something a little bit different to get ready for the following year. And this is a young lady that is ready to kind of jump on the world stage. And we've seen it earlier in her career. She's had these really good results. This is her first final, um, but she's got a tremendous forehand, a very good serve, and she's got the emotional disposition that can deal with um, the expectations and the gravity of the moment. And, and look, we saw her have a really difficult time closing it out against uh, Mukova in the, in the semis, and that's normal. That's normal. But she got there and she found a way. The question against Naomi is how, how will her game hold up? Well, I think she's got enough firepower to give herself opportunities. The problem is going to be can she beat Naomi to the first strike? And also the other question is, how do you handle the final? And that you don't know until you get there. So there are going to be a lot of very interesting things unfolding early in the match. But Jen Brady is a tremendous competitor. She's gone through the college system. So great to see her come out of UCLA and have such a terrific career. It should show a lot of people that there's a lot of different pathways to getting to the ultimate stage of professional tennis. And she's showing us that. So I've got a soft spot for a lot of different aspects of that journey of hers. And, um, you know, to watch her smile and to watch her compete like she does, it's, it's, uh, it's quite a, an engaging thing to do and I'm enjoying every minute of it. And it's the college tennis thing, right? You guys are sticking together, former college tennis players all showing. Got to. Yeah, you got to. Yeah. There's, more than more than one way to get there. there. Yeah, and there's definitely late bloomers too. I think that's the lesson as well. You don't have to just be a phenom and 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 go right to the top. There's there's definitely people that realize their potential later in their careers. Uh, Brady, we mentioned Osaka's serve, uh, Brady's serve, and winning seventy seven point six percent of her first serve points as well. So the serve's been there. And Paul, going into the final, it is unknown territory. But some things that look good for her going into this matchup is. You know, the last two ones, she rallied from a set down. So I think the, men, the mental toughness is there, winning the quarterfinals and the semis from a set down, and also knowing that she can play with Naomi on a big stage. It wasn't the final, but that semifinal match last year might have been the match of the year across all of tennis. And I think Jen Brady can knows that she can play with Naomi. It's going to be that, that championship edge that Naomi undoubtedly has. But 
for Brady to get to this point to to trust in her beliefs and to show the mental strengthness to close out. I, I think this match could very much surprise people by how close it is. Yeah, no, look, she's got the firepower to to manage the situation. It's what happens now in a final. And you talk about the, the close semifinal and the comfort that Jen Brady looked like she had matching power. And, and that is a huge sign because she she doesn't have to be totally reactive to the power of Naomi Osaka. She can create a lot of it herself. So if she does that and she can take care of her service games and she gets some second serve looks, she can have a really good uh, chance to give herself opportunities. I think the early, I think the beginning of the match is important because I think the the trajectory of a final against a great player is a little bit different. It's really difficult if you get down big early. You need to show the other player, show the great player that you're right there. You're in the moment. Um, you're you're able to manage the situation uh, on this on these big stages. And if she does that, then uh, it's going to be interesting. Paul Anacone, TC Live Podcast. Let's now look at the men's side. It's uh, Novak Djokovic again, going for his ninth Australian Open final. I don't think we're surprised that he's at the finish line, but how we got here might be one of the more surprising. Novak Djokovic runs in a Grand Slam with the injury that suffered in, that he suffered in the Taylor's Fritz match. He had to grind out a five-set win kind of regained his mobility as he went along. Tough wins over Milos Ronic and Alexander Zverev and the semifinal thorough domination of Karatsev, which wasn't the quality of player of the previous two, Paul, but we started to see Novak move like he was used to moving. So Novak's grind to this title, to this championship appearance, rather. Anything surprising about how he's had to kind of regain his form on the fly and, and trying to just find himself and, if anything, show his mental toughness as he had to grind out some wins? It's, it hasn't been surprising, really, um, because great players don't... I mean, look, they are the exception, not the rule, right? You know, they deal with adversity. They find ways to get through. You know, Novak got through his match with Taylor in five sets and then wasn't sure how he was going to pull up. Looked to me like he pulled up pretty well. I mean, when you can come back and beat Milos Raonic in four sets on a fast court, that's pretty impressive. So when I saw that, I felt like he's he's okay. He can get through this. So um, that doesn't surprise me because great players tend to be problem solvers. And, and Novak has shown us that. And he plays so well in Australia. He's won there so many times. It's like his second home. He's really comfortable there. So I think it's been a great run for him, but I don't think much of it has surprised me. Only the fact that he's had to deal with, you know, the, the adversity of the injury. But again, you know, I've, I've seen that before. He tends, you know, he tends to be uh, someone that you, you know, he wears his heart on his sleeve. So you can see when he's hurt. We saw the grimaces and a lot of the stuff that was going on where someone like probably like Rafa or Roger, you wouldn't know. Like Rafa said he has a bad back, but I didn't notice anything when he was playing. You know, Roger tends to keep things close to the vest as well. But Novak wears his heart on his sleeve, so that adds to intrigue and, and to drama. Um, but he solves the riddle pretty well, and once again, he's in his comfort zone. I thought this Zverev match was very interesting, too, because Zverev played well, played well enough to get a lead in most of those sets. But every time he had trouble closing it out, Novak was able to just figure it out, like you said, problem-solve. You know, you turn anger and frustration into just some championship level points and, and win a late fourth set tiebreaker. It shouldn't be surprising that he gets this level year in, year out. I think we're looking to see what the final is going to look like because he's getting tested by somebody else. But Novak's dominance here 
I mean, you said it's second. It is a second home. He's undefeated as a number one seed. He's 8-0 in finals. And I looked up this stat as well. There's only been two guys that have ever beaten a big four member in a final. And that is Stan a couple of times and Del Potro. So to beat these guys mm-hmm. in a final is, is one of the more improbable, if not impossible, tasks in tennis. Yeah, it's so difficult to do. And, and the big four have been so dominant. And they're more dominant in the big moments. And you look at all the records of the Masters 1000s and the majors, they're, they're there or thereabouts every time. So it's a different level. I, I think this is going to be a different final because I actually think Medvedev is ready. You know, he lost in the finals to Rafa at the U.S. Open, the semis to team this year. But when you watch his progression and you watch his kind of self-belief, I think he's ready for this moment. I think that, you know, he's had success against Novak before. I believe he's on a 20-match winning streak. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. And uh, isn't it something ridiculous? <laughs> like, how many of those are top 10 wins? 12. Like, uh, 12 yeah, top 12 10 out of those 20 are top 10 wins. So, so to me right now, Medvedev is the best of the rest. So I don't see any reason why... Um, he's not going to be going into this match, most importantly, in his own mind, feeling like, uh, I can do this. I got this. And, and so it will be interesting to see how, for me, strategically, how he chooses to finish points. Because he's a little bit like Novak in terms of being a counterpuncher and in terms of letting the game come to him. So I'll be curious to see what he does against arguably the greatest defender in the history of the game, which is Novak Djokovic. I think it's going to be tremendous tennis, and it's going to come down to the big moments. Novak has served incredibly well at this year's Australian Open, so I'll be interested to see what Medvedev can do to kind of break the rhythm of the Djokovic serve. Medvedev's performance last night against Tsitsipas, as we record this, was uh, truly incredible how he thoroughly beat him and thoroughly was the better player, hit some shots in that match that you know left your jaw on the floor. It's just fun to watch him play because I don't think we've ever quite seen anybody who approaches the game just like him. Uh, and that win streak, like you said, it's incredible. I know, I know Rodgers got the record for, I think, 24 top 10 wins in a row, but Medvedev being halfway there and being, I think, the only member of the non-Big Four to even approach that territory has been impressive. And you mentioned it. He's got confidence. He wins that match, Paul, and he doesn't really you know, go crazy. He expected to get there. He also won the last match against Djokovic at the ATP Finals. Joker has a slight head-to-head advantage, 4-3. to three. We know it's a different beast, best of five, having to beat Djokovic in Australia. But all the confidence is there, and he truly does, in his mind, believe he can do this, and he's the man for the job. Yeah, I, I won't. Look, I, I, that's what I mean. I, I kind of look to see how a player goes through their business in a major event before I start to, from my own mind, say, okay, how did they get there and are they really ready? I think he's really ready. Does that mean he's going to beat Novak? Absolutely not. But I, I give him a very good chance because of what we're talking about. You, you know, no big reaction after he beats Tsitsipas, straight sets comfortably, beats Rublev, one of the hottest players on tour, straight sets. I mean, he had a five-setter with uh, Krajinovic, and that was really the only time he was tested. He won that set match 6-0 in the fifth. So uh, he hasn't. he's played a decent amount of tennis, but he's not over-tennised. And, and I think he, he's just at that stage in his career where he's like, okay, I'm ready for this moment. If I serve well and uh, if I can impact the Djokovic serve, I'm ready to go toe-to-toe with him. I've beaten him three out of seven times, so it's a pretty – 
you know, it's a pretty solidly even matchup. And uh, I think now's my time. So it's going to be fun to watch. Two years ago, Novak Djokovic, arguably his most dominant Australian Open run that he's had, only lost one set in the whole tournament. It was to Daniil Medvedev, who's on the come up then. And and another thing, too, I just want to point out, this is going to be an interesting one of guys that, you know, if the crowd's not for them, they actually raise their level and almost thrive on it. We, we saw that a little bit last night with Medvedev. He's perfectly fine not being the favorite in that match. We know Novak can play under any condition against anyone. Right. Yeah, no, the, uh, you know, they're both okay with dealing with uh, the unruly crowd, so to speak. But I think it's really important for Medvedev to keep his composure. I've seen Medvedev blow a gasket here and there. And this is a match where he cannot afford to lose it mentally, no matter what happens, no matter what's going on. So if you see composed Medvedev, look out. If you see him rattled early, that's going to be a problem. I can't wait to watch either. Uh, Paul, this has been fun. Before I let you go, I want to point out one thing. I was really sad, like I know a lot of people at Tennis Channel were, uh, all props to Karatsev uh, for making that run to the semifinal, but for uh, you know, kind of passing you for that piece of history. For that first Grand Slam performance, making a semifinal. I know you uh, shared the record. I couldn't do it. Yeah, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. I didn't do it at uh, Wimbledon. I couldn't do it. He, he outdid me, so more power to him. <laughs> that was an incredible run, uh, making the semi in your first major. Uh, hope to be a late bloomer himself. Uh, but, Paul, thanks again for joining. And before I let you go, I want to give you props as well for joining the uh, USTA SoCal team as a coach and kind of an advisor role working with. Uh, yeah, it's going to be here. nice. Look at, look at, yeah, looking forward to it, Mitch. Going to do some consulting with the SDPA and their player development. They've got a really good team. And, you know, we're in town a lot here at the Tennis Channel in uh, Santa Monica. So I'm hoping that I can uh, not get in anyone's way, throw out some good experiential knowledge, and uh, keep the history and tradition in Southern Cal growing. Yeah. Well, Hey, it's, it's going to be a good for you to be there. I know they're, they're blessed to have you there. And uh, when it comes to experience, again, not trying to date you, but we know you got a lot of it. So I think it's a match made in heaven. <laughs> Much appreciated, Mitch. You take care of yourself and don't be a stranger. Ask me on again. Oh, we'll do. We, we're going <laughs> to, we're going to definitely get rid of that lag time. That was Paul Anacone on the TC live podcast. Thanks for listening. Hope everybody enjoys the finals. More episodes to come on tennis.com slash podcast. You'll find all the podcasts there that this network has to offer. For Paul Anacone, I'm Mitch Michaels. This was the TC Live Podcast. We will see you next week.